Well, praise the Lord. Maybe I can downgrade one level of winter attire to get through the morning. Only another six months, brother. It'll be warm again. What's that? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's continue our study in Ephesians, shall we? Uh, chapter four, and uh, maybe we'll read the first sixteen verses. Hopefully, finish this morning. Paul writing to the Ephesians, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, we are unspeakably privileged to have thy word uh, in the scriptures and in our hearts. Grant us to properly understand and receive thy word this morning and grow thereby and bear fruit, Father, with patience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last, uh, last week we... Yes, sir. You want me to speak louder? Is that unusual to this morning or... Oh, for you to hear. Okay, not, not for the recording. No, people. All right. Sure, I can do that. I used to have to teach with a thickness planer going off or a dust collection system moving at uh, 5,000 cubic feet of air per minute going off. So that was pretty loud. They did give me a little um, carnival mic there on my, with a speaker on my, and it would tickle my belly when I talked, so that was kind of interesting. But how are we doing? Can you hear me at the back? Wave when, when I start to lose it, you know, a dip for dramatic effect. I never was Bible college trained, but I remember my, fa- my friend and, uh, coming back from a year or two, I don't know, maybe after graduation, and sharing a bit of the tricks they teach you, you know, you do your theatrics, and when you, want to ra- ma- when you want to make a point, you bend over, look the audience in the eye, and whisper, Right? All the drama that these TV preachers learn and so on. But I, I was never trained in any of that, so you just get ordinary. Last week we were looking at um, 
we, we did a bit of a tie-in with what Sean had preached before. And we're looking at three things, right? The glorified Christ, the grace that he gives, and the growth that is the goal. Three things, right? And, I mean, you did pick up a few things at the Baptist church. Every good sermon's supposed to have alliteration, right? I don't usually do it, but every now and again it just writes itself. Uh, <clears throat> three things here in the passage. And uh, we looked at Christ. Ascended, right? What is it but that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth? We looked at um, Philippians. God hath highly exalted him. At least if we didn't, I intended to. Uh, right? He humbled himself, took upon him the form of a servant. He came to earth, uh, died, was crucified, buried, rose again for our sins, highly exalted in heaven. Uh, <clears throat> we looked at that uh, phrase, the lower parts of the earth, which occurs a few times in the Old Testament. I think we looked at Psalm 139, where David said, you know, I was cur- curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. And no one ever thought of a womb as being in the lower parts of the earth before. And Isaiah 44, verse 22 or 23, I think, um, speaks of the lower part of the earth. And it's a figure of speech that simply means earth, right? Heaven above, earth below. Uh, it didn't mean like the core of the earth where it's hot and all of those things and some mystical place of the dead. That's not what's in view. Uh, he that ascended is the one that descended. He came from heaven to earth, was crucified for our sins, and uh, was buried and rose again. And this was the gospel that Paul preached, and we, we noted some things about that. And then we looked at the the coronation of the king, right? David coming into his kingdom. We noted that it wasn't when he was first um, anointed king, first in Hebron, I think, and then over all Israel. Uh, That was relatively nondescript. But after he was returning uh, from having fled or exiled by Absalom's rebellion, And he said, I think, to Joab, you know, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? Boy, his sister must have been a tough nut, you know. Um, Zariah was his sister, I believe. And uh, they wanted to kill Shimei um, because he had been railing at David and throwing stones at him when he fled. And David said, do I not know that I am this day? king in Israel. I think that's 2 Samuel 19, that passage there, just reviewing what we looked at last week. Um, And we looked at the coronation of the king, right? Um, Because uh, here in Ephesians, verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. I think that's Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast uh, received gifts from men, yea, for the rebellious also. And we looked at how the king on day of coronation, he was distributing gifts, gifts of life. Shimei was pardoned. Ziba, you remember, Mephibosheth, they were, um, they were given gifts of land and life and pardon. Um, and this is befitting for a king in victory, handing out and distributing gifts. This is a picture of Christ having ascended, he gave gifts unto men. We see that picture there in David. Um, <clears throat> As a coronation, this uh, gives some light to that thief who was crucified with Christ. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You get a bit of Shimei there, only a genuine heart. Shimei was a politician. He, he wasn't sincerely repentant. He just knew his life was on the line. You know? Therefore, am I the first to come to meet my Lord the King? He thought, yikes, I'm going to get it. And that was proven by his unfaithfulness with Solomon later. But the picture was necessary and those details were um, postponed so that we could get a picture of Christ's uh, coronation there and distributing gifts. And this thief asking for clemency when the Lord Jesus ascended on high. Comes into his kingdom. Pictured there in Daniel 7, the Son of Man came unto the Ancient of Days. Right, All of these... um, Things Christ was alluding to when he referred to himself as the Son of Man. <clears throat> so we reviewed those things, and he gave gifts unto men. And we, we looked at the, uh, the notion of many Christians struggling to find their gift and so on. 
and how that's unnecessary for us. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost and you and I simply need to love the Lord with all our hearts and get busy serving Him, walking with Him and He will bring forth those gifts as He sees fit. As um, in writing to the Hebrews, the Apostle said, with divers gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His will. I think we made the illustration that, you know, it's not necessary for children to wonder, you know, what am I going to be, what am I going to do, sort of thing. But parents watch over their children and they observe their God-given aptitudes, talents, and gifts and provide opportunities for them to naturally grow into their calling. And how much more is our Heavenly Father watch over us? Okay, sorry, you know, I mean... Hard to just ignore that, especially when you're coming down the aisle at me there. But all right, we'll carry on. Just a bit of a technical thing going on. Um, <clears throat> I would have thought you could hear on the front row at least. So we, we looked at that as unnecessary. Um, we looked at examples like Philip, who went from just being a faithful brother. When I say just, that's, what, that's it. Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's where we all are. And God makes his servants to do different things according to his will. But Philip, as a faithful servant, the Lord made him a deacon and then uh, an evangelist. Stephen, full of faith of the Holy Ghost, the Lord made him a deacon and then a martyr. Any volunteers? <laughs> people prefer the, you know, people think in terms of worldly promotion and so on. But that's not it in the kingdom of God. It's simply being faithful. You and I might feel like we only have the one talent. Talent's a lot, by the way. It's about 60 pounds of gold. That's worth quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> I think gold is something like uh, 2,000 $672, roughly. I don't know. I didn't check it today. It's just interesting. It tells you what's happening in the world. Um, per ounce. That's about what it is per ounce. So if you have 16 times that, you know, you could be, let's call it 50,000 a pound. And then if you have 60 times that, it's quite a bit, right? Um, if you have 50,000 a pound times 60, it's just like 3 million. One talent, 3 million. What could you accomplish with $3 million? For others, for the kingdom of God, how many souls could you feed? How many missionaries could you put on the field? Right? This is how we should think in terms of money. How many poor could we feed? How many missionaries could we support? Uh, so, we might all think of ourselves as having one talent, but let's be faithful with it. And there are diversities of gifts and operations, and we might look at some of those a little bit, right? Um, <clears throat> well, I've got less competition now. How are we doing? Do I still need to holler? I'll wind it down now? Okay. okay. It's just to keep me on my toes, right? That's all this is. It's all planned. <clears throat> Gifts. One thing we want to look at here. Unto every one of us is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. This is where it starts. And brethren, we need to think of it in terms of grace. It's all part of a flow of God's grace. His, his favor and these things that are distributed. It's all part of grace. There's no sense of self-importance. My gift. No, it's God's gift. Paul, uh, Paul wrote. We've got some scriptures jotted down here. Just uh, minimize the time hunting for them. With my ever-failing memory. <clears throat> Paul wrote some things uh, to, um, to Timothy about, he wrote to the Corinthians. Let's look at a few of these things to get a feel for it. In fact, let's go into the Corinthian letter first. 1 Corinthians 15, I think, is where we want to go. 
15, chapter 15, verse 10. I think I'm going to rough it and take these gloves off. <clears throat> we'll start in, in uh, verse 9. He's talking about the resurrection and the witnesses of the resurrection. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, but was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Now, Paul was an apostle, and that's what he's speaking of, right? Um, I'm the least of the apostles. Now, in Ephesians, where we just read, and we'll, we'll get to this. In verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So he's distributed these ministerial gifts, offices in the church, um, what we would think of as church leaders. Uh, <clears throat> now, we'll, we'll give this prelude or, or foreshadowing. He's done this. He's provided these gifts to the church. For a purpose. And that purpose is the perfecting of the saints. And the purpose of that is so that the saints can accomplish the work of the ministry. Alright? So that's why he lists just these ministerial gifts instead of the um, wider body gifts that he addresses in a bit in Romans and more in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is addressing his apostolic gift. <coughs> And he's saying that by the grace of God, I'm an apostle. Now, that's true for everybody, but uh, Paul felt it particularly. <laughs> he says, and, and he, he increases in it. I think it was, it, no, I, I don't think, I'm, I'm sure, it was Zach Poon and I saw, he just wrote a little blurb, you know, and he, chron he chronicled Paul's maturity. You know, he starts out as um, uh, less than the least of all saints. This is Paul's growth in humility, that's the starting point. Uh, later, he writes, no, sorry, he starts here, uh, the least of the apostles. Then, as he matures a little more, he's less than the least of all saints, and nearing the end of his life, the chief of sinners. You know, <laughs> He ever thinking less and less of himself. That's the trajectory he, he traces. I can't say that's wrong, obviously. It seems right to me. It does. The, the chronology lines up in terms of which he wrote first and last. Whether he actually grew like that or started there as an apostle, I can't say. It's an interesting development. But the thing that is, Paul said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. None of the apostles, I, I'm, I expect none of them felt, yeah, I'm worthy to be an apostle. Yeah, I think, you know, really, I should have been an apostle and the Lord did right by choosing me. I'm, I'm very skeptical that any of them would have thought that. Maybe Judas, but none of the Men And certainly not after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They might have thought that before. Remember, they were jostling for who was going to be the greatest. James and John got their mom in there to, to try and finagle the top two seats next to Christ. But after the Holy Ghost had done his work, applying the cross of Christ to their hearts, I'm extremely skeptical that that was a thought that any of them entertained. And yet, knowing all of that, in that light where no one's worthy to be an apostle... Paul says, I'm not even worthy to be unworthy. You, you get the point? Because I persecuted the church of God. These other men, they were taken from the mass of, of Judaism. Some zealots and some bit compromised like Matthew. the a tax collector. But I was a persecutor. I was an enemy. I was actively seeking to destroy the kingdom of God. These men were at least trying to build it up. And he made me... Not just saved, which would have been good enough. I'd have been happy to be Mephibosheth. I'd have been happy to have been pardoned like Shimei or the thief on the cross. But he took me and made me an apostle. This is Paul's thinking. By the grace of God, 
I am what I am. This, and he writes to Timothy, we'll, we'll jump to it and come back here to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, to Timothy, he writes in um, chapter 1 and verse 12 of his first letter to Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's when he says that famous verse, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, right? I persecuted the church. I was injurious. I was a blasphemer. And this abundant grace saved me and made me an apostle. Remember he said that in me first Jesus Christ should show forth a pattern of all long suffering, right? Those of us that make things... uh, we know about patterns. Whether it's a dress or wood, you, you get the pattern and that's a shape. You, you reproduce it elsewhere. Paul's a pattern of grace. An enemy of God. A vicious, driven enemy of God that God loved. Paul said, I, he loved me and gave himself for me. That God loved and saved and sanctified and Gave gifts to and employed in the building up of his kingdom. That's a pattern. That's a pattern. Paul is your prototypical Christian. And so that's a pattern for you and for me. Grace, unmerited love, and make you someone that builds up his kingdom. That's what he's doing. There is no room for the idea in any Christian's mind that you are of no value or that you don't accomplish anything. It's like Paul wrote, no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, you know. Yes, there he doesn't mean literally no other person. He knew about the gathering demoniac that was cutting his flesh and so on. He knew about people that ended their lives. It's it's a generalization, but no one looks at a hand thought, you know, I, I think I'll need four fingers. I'll just cut that one off and toss it. No one thinks that. This is really a useless part of me. I'll just get rid of it. It's tucking up space anyway. Wore that finger out in the glove. Just get rid of it. No one thinks like that. Little toe. I don't like trimming my nails. I'll just cut that. Nobody thinks like that. Every part of your body is precious to you. I know some women think they have too much stuff. They get in the mirror and they're bucking out eyebrow hairs and all of these things. I know that. But you know what I'm saying, right? Your body's precious to you. And God's body's precious to him. You're part of that body. You've got a function. And he's given you gifts of grace. And this is a thing. He's given you grace. And the gifts come out of that. Grace. It's grace that God loves you. And he's bestowed Christ upon you. Look at... Uh, in, we're still in 1 Corinthians 15. We're just keeping our finger there. It's good. Just so we become familiar with it. Uh, 1 Peter, I think it is. Uh, chapter 4. Have I got the right one? Yes. Verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards. Of the manifold gift of God. He goes on about how you should speak. If any man speak. Then speak as the oracles of God. Now brethren. Think with me about what Peter's writing here. Because it's the same. The apostles are saying the same thing. As every man has received the gift. Minister the same one to another. Let's go back to Ephesians. We've still got a finger in 1 Corinthians 15. I hope I'm not making you do that needlessly. We can just turn back to it. Ephesians 4. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And this is the thing. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. And he sealed you with his Holy Spirit. 
then this is the gift that you have. It's Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's Christ in you that you minister one to another. It's Christ. That's it. The Lord Jesus, when he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall do witnessing. Is that how it reads in your Bible? You shall be witnesses. When the Holy Ghost comes into a man or woman, it's not that they do something, it's that they become something. You shall be a witness. And your being, brother and sister, is to be Christ. Christ in you. Minister Christ. The, the implication of that is that you walk in the Spirit. You walk by faith. You just walk loving the Lord. It's actually very simple. And I can put it this way. Maybe people don't say this a lot. It's actually easy. It's easy to be a Christian because it's Christ doing it, not you. <laughs> you just have to die. And that's been done for you as well. It really is quite easy. You just be. He'll be in you. Love the Lord. Walk in Him. And He minister the gift. So what we have a duty to do to God and to one another is to be in Christ and to walk with Him. To commune with Him. To be filled with Him. If you have a glass here, right, and it's full of something and you bounce the glass, then what's in it is what comes out. We need to be filled with Christ, not self, not sludge and sin, flesh, pride, bitterness, right? You get a bump and bitterness comes out. Well, that's not so good. Acid, ooh, you know. We don't want to be those people that everyone needs safety, personal protection equipment to come near us, right? In case you get it splashed on you, God forbid. This is the gift. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, as an apostle said, by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace, this is the thing, brethren, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. He tells them at the beginning of this chapter, unless you have believed in vain, to no lasting effect. Now, every believer has been given the measure of the gift of Christ. And the most common measure is the smallest one. That's the most common. I mean, it's not like we're overrun with apostles running around the place. <laughs> but the Lord has warned us already about the one talent man. It is wickedness, brethren. It is pride and wickedness to look at yourself and say, I'm not much, so I'm not going to try. That is so conceited and prideful. I know we think, oh, you know, it's the guy with the big chest out, thinks he's stuffed. That's a proud person. We all recognize that. Yeah. But the person says, oh, I'm just useless. The person says, oh, I'm just good for nothing. It's such pride. It's such an insult to your creator. I knew someone that said, I think God did a good job when he made me. I mean, <laughs> I know it's funny. People are funny. Um, that bespeaks a certain amount of, well, anyway, certainly a generous self-esteem. But what do you think of the person that says, I think God did a bad job when he made me? You think that's humility? That's pride. That is, I want to be great and admired, and because I'm not, I'm just going to do nothing. That's bitterness against God. And let it not be named once among us. Let us fear God. Let us be thankful. You are not. Like don't believe lies. You think God made anybody and then has his spirit whisper in their ear. You are useless. Is that of God? No. That's of the flesh and that's of the devil and it has no place in a Christian's mind. And don't tolerate it. It is wickedness. Everything that comes from Satan is wicked. 
You know that's not of God and send that packing. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody, but just let's have the truth. You might have to share this with someone else. Beloved of God. Do you read that anywhere? Grace, mercy, and peace to you. Beloved of God and all that. And how does you are really not much, you're useless and so on, fit in with that? It's an insult to God. You're his prized possession. Paul didn't say, you know, he loved us and gave himself for us, which is true. He says that elsewhere. He says he loved me. If Paul was raised in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, the chances are really high. And he began this persecution there in Jerusalem and the church. The chance is really high, although I can't prove it with certainty. And the scriptures don't mention it explicitly. The chance is really high that Paul, as Saul, as a young man, was there just seething in hatred while the Lord Jesus put to shame his elders in their hypocrisy. The sages. Saul was a young man, a backseat guy, probably just coming of age. A little too young to step into the fray when Christ was in his ministry, but itching to get into it. And once he turned of age, watch out, the zeal. He persecuted the church of God, but it's highly probable that Saul personally hated Jesus Christ. He loved me. It was personal for Paul. It's personal. And it should be personal for each of us. You should go when you look in the mirror, however frequently or infrequently. We heard about a young lady who used to like to do that when she was little. Not so long ago, some of us. Walking around a puddle looking at her reflection in it and all that. But when you look in the mirror to fuss yourself, um, say to yourself in the mirror, He loved me. He gave himself for me. And make sure brother and sister, that you give yourself back to him. Present yourselves, living sacrifice. His his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What does that mean? What it means is that Paul is acknowledging That the things that were accomplished in him were not accomplished by his own power. Really what Paul did, and it's what we can all do, is that he was faithful. He was yielded. He didn't fight God. He says in writing to the Galatians, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Sadly, that's what so many of us do. I trust not all the time. Frustrate the grace of God. Nullify. By going our own way through the day. By walking after the flesh. But that's all Paul did. And that's all any of us have to do. Is he abandoned himself to God. He didn't do anything by his own power. He writes you know. Serving the Lord in hunger and thirst. In weariness and painfulness. In fastings often. Watchings often. It's like superhuman strength. He felt all of the, the, the pain. The tiredness and all of that. But in each circumstance when. His humanity wanted to quit. He relied on Christ. And it was that supernatural energy that enabled him to to do all of those things at all of those seasons. And he had, if you like, Paul was a ten talent man. My reading, a hundred talents. But we as one talent people can do the same thing. We can respond to the Lord in the small ordinariness of our day. We can glorify Christ. And we can minister Christ to all about us and to one another. Grace. Grace. We'll come to that uh, later on in our Ephesian passage. This is the thing. Not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Nevertheless, I live, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In, uh, in Romans 12, we see some gifts, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The theme is common. It's variously expressed. By the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So to think more highly than he ought to think. Got a pastor or teacher and I think I'm an apostle. And off he goes to try and do apostolic things. This is foolishness. Even Paul didn't do that. In Antioch, Paul was the least of the teachers in the church. Barnabas was the chief of the prophets. And as they all just ministered to the Lord and fasted, I presume they sang hymns of praise. They prayed, worshipped. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work we're to have called them. And along the way, God, wrought, uh, God made Paul the chief speaker and so on. But in the meantime... A man, listen, a man who had been called from heaven, heard an audible voice, saw a blinding light, and had been given visions years before, was still faithfully minding his own business as a teacher, a humble teacher in the church at Antioch. Until the time appointed by God. It should really give pause to those of us zealous young men who want to run around the place thinking we're the next William Booth. Preaching in the streets and so on, expecting that, you know, God can do anything through anybody. And so crowds of people are going to get saved through my hollering. I know, I've done it. I'm not wanting to be unkind. Uh, But it really, let's think soberly. And just get on with doing what he's actually given us to do. And pray that he would raise up another William Booth. But it's not likely to be you or me. <clears throat> I know some people really object to that. But search the scriptures. Tell me if I'm wrong on it. Think soberly. So don't think too high. But not to think more highly than you ought to think. But the Lord also pointed out that we, shouldn't th- ought, we ought not to think more low. And by that I mean... I can't do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. So I'm going to bury my talent in the earth and wait till the end. At least I didn't lose. That's thinking too low. We've been warned against that in the parable, right? And while I think, brethren, it is very common among us uh, to not think too highly of ourselves. I think you, brethren, I, I can't think of anyone, you know, that I would want to reprove for thinking too highly of themselves. I admire that. But let us be careful that we don't bury that which has been given to us through neglect and failure to use. <clears throat> All right. And then he, um, he addresses some of the gifts. Um, he talks about office here. So verse 6, gifts differing according to the grace. You notice the consistent link of gifts and grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. We've looked at some of these things in passing. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Um, showing mercy, by the way. We, we've, we've said this before, right? This is not the, you know, you got the mercy brother and the prophet. and the, we, we know that, right? The most merciful people are the prophets. You see that in the scripture. The brother whose gift or sister whose gift is showing mercy is a person like Dorcas making coats for the, for the um, naked and feeding the poor and tending to the sick. These are acts of mercy. The Lord in his parable of the Good Samaritan. Which one of these was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And the man answered, he that showed mercy to him. He that showeth mercy is someone that ministers to the practical needs of somebody, not based on their merit, but based on their needs. So as you go and show mercy, do it cheerfully, not like you know, some self-made martyr and wanting to, I just want everyone to know how sacrificial I'm being and all of those things. Do it with cheerfulness, with simplicity. And so he lists a few of these um, gifts here in uh, 
First Corinthians we could look at a lot, but we've, we've looked at those before, speaking gifts. We'd look at Gaius, Paul writes of Gaius, my host and that of the whole church. John, I believe, writing to the same person, said, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers who have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Right? Gaius, he, he, um, uh, he received the traveling ministers, the evangelists and apostles, and those that were going forth with the word of God, and even those traveling from church to church. He hosted them, refreshed their spirits, gave them warm Christian fellowship, ministered to their practical needs. This recharged them. They were rejuvenated in body and in spirit, and they went forth um, to minister. This was a gift and he did it faithfully. That's why John wanted him to prosper because he used all of his money for the kingdom of God. (laughs) There's all sorts of gifts. Gaius, we don't read, was a a, a gifted preacher. But he hosted the church. He hosted the brethren. He was a great helper in the kingdom. And uh, people like that are needed. And this is where, how, how, you know, can you imagine Gaius filling out? Remember those things we had uh, back in the, in the day, you know, these cards, you know, 50 gifts and go through and try and identify your, your gift profile. Really, it's nonsense, you know. Uh, do what God's put in your heart to do. Do what God's put in your heart to do. Follow that calling. Serve him. And he'll bring it forth. We mentioned at the start. This is what Philip did. This is what Stephen did. And um, God will bring them forth. It's the gift that you minister. Let's look a little further at that. Um, Colossians. Where are we at here? I have it in my mind, it's Colossians, but I've got the wrong, wrong passage. Ah, yes, Colo- I didn't write it down. Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Teaching and admonishing. <laughs> I notice it doesn't say rebuking. I mean, rebuke is necessary every now and again. But you understand, teaching is telling someone what to do. Admonishing is reminding them what to do. Emphasizing it. Rebuking is telling them what they did wrong or sh- should have done or didn't do. Right? And that's not mentioned. The emphasis of the New Testament in brotherly and sisterly interactions is overwhelmingly positive. Overwhelmingly positive. I think it's only Timothy that gets commanded to do the rebuking from the, you know, preaching. Just generally. Rebuking sin generally. But in our interactions with one another, rebuke is a rare thing. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And it's such a serious thing, he's going to be excommunicated. If he doesn't repent of it. That's the level that requires a rebuke. But the normal day-to-day stuff. Forbearing one another in love. That's the norm. So many people want to be Old Testament people. You've got to rebuke every 15 minutes. You know, Wise man loveth rebukes. And the way he takes it is. A wise man loveth to give out rebukes. You know, um, It's very Old Testament. This is not. Uh, this is not. The, the spirit functioning in the church. And we were hearing about that earlier. Uh, you see a problem, you can pray for it. You do have to deal with sins unto death. doesn't say pray for that, we have to deal with that. But so much can be covered and dealt with by charity and prayer. And the word of God. Um, so many, I remember being taught this as a very young Christian. And I'm so glad. So many people trying to be the Holy Spirit. They think they see something in someone's life and they're out to deal with it. And it's not God's time at all. The person doesn't get it, doesn't receive it. God will show it to them later. In the meantime, he wants to teach you how to love. Too many people worried about where the other person's at with the Lord, not worried about where they're at. But uh, I trust it's not so among us. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is the same thing, right? As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Brethren, this is basic. Christ in you, minister Christ one to another. As the circumstance requires. And uh, the more our minds are renewed, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more our minds are renewed, the more the word of God fills us in our understanding and our heart, the more it will come out of us. Whether by direct quotation, we make the connection, a specific word for this specific situation, or whether just as a natural infusion of our personality and thought, and we minister Christ one to another. Lifting up the downcast, encouraging Whatever it is, um, whatever the need. This is a general principle. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, where we are, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, right? Putting away the the child days where you're tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Oh, this new thing, this preacher, that. Teaching these series of lectures, you know, this way and that way. And some of them are charlatans, crafty, trying to deceive you. No, no. Speaking the truth in love. This is one of those passages that has been so abused and misused. And it's because, yeah, Old Testament people, um, carnal law, covenant of works people. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I'm missing the point. Speaking the truth in love. Right? So you're telling someone, brother, you're an heir of God. And you're not just coldly, you're an heir of God. You're speaking it in love. It's the truth. Christ gave himself for you. That's the truth. Speaking the truth to one another. In love. This is the, the, the um, heartbeat of the thing. So many think, you know, that this speaking the truth is an unpleasant thing. That's why you've got to have the in love. So, you know, when you have to tell your brother something unpleasant about himself, you've got to do it in love. This is a completely wrong understanding. It's not what the apostle is talking about at all. And why do people's minds go there? It's, um, you may grow up into him in all things. You're you're sharing with your brother, your sister, the promises of God for them. And it's flowing out of a heart of charity. Paul writes to the Corinthians, though I have, you know, the, the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and have not charity, it profiteth nothing. So you want to have these gifts of prophecy and and expound all mysteries from a heart of charity. That's the point. Each one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That's how the body grows. This constant ministry of the word of God to one another. Christ has made you a victor. You got the victory already. And in love. Like this is uplifting. This is nourishing. That's how we'll grow. <clears throat> A couple more passages and we'll, we'll look at that. That growth. Um, now Paul. Well no, we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. I think uh, I think maybe we'll we will go into that. Let me just check here if we've looked at all we want to. Yeah. Romans 15, same idea, verse 14. I myself also am persuaded of you my brethren that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. There it is again, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Gifts are by grace. It's all of God. 
few more passages as we, uh, we look to, to wind down. Yeah. One Corinthians two. I think I think we we're fine with that. So one Corinthians three ten. Yeah, one Corinthians three ten is is the same. Paul says he's the um, a wise master builder by the grace of God. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. In our passage in Ephesians, Paul's talking about um, the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he talks again, speaking the truth in love. We've just read that. May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So what he's saying is that the ministers, this is where you'll see in, in a different translation and then they'll take that title, equipping the saints. This is where this idea has come from. The idea is that the purpose of the ministry of the apostles and prophets and, and pastors and teachers is to bring the Christians into their place of ministry. That's their purpose. It's like... Uh, It's not an end unto itself. It's become that in uh, modern church models. And that's, uh, well, not just modern. I mean, we're in a building that's built on that whole idea. You've got the clergy and you'll come, listen and go home. But that's not the apostolic vision. What did the apostle write to the Hebrews? Wrote many things, right? So which one am I thinking of? He says, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not strong meat. For strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Or words similar to that. I'm just quoting from memory now. For the time, ye ought to be teachers. And he's writing to thousands of people. Right? So the, the end goal is for the Christian, every Christian, to be a minister. Different capacities. We don't, remember, this, this whole building and titles and you know, pastor and reverend and college. Anyway, I won't spare, I'll spare you how to... A dream slash nightmare, but I won't tell you about that. I told my children they found it funny. I'll tell you about it in private chit-chat later. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, but all of this stuff is wrong concept. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. You're all ministers, you're all teachers. Teaching the things of God, teaching one another. And then as babes come in, right? And he says, for the time, you ought to be teachers. You're going back to babyhood. What's wrong with you people? Now, he said it more kindly than that. The whole epistle to the Hebrews is so tender, right? This is the, the concept. Um, it's to, for the perfecting of the saints. Think of, uh, think of Lazarus in the tomb, right? It's a snapshot. What was, uh, what was the situation? Lazarus was dead. Stinking dead. Unpleasant odor. Alright? And now here comes the Lord Jesus. And he has in his mind what he's going to do. And he's gently leading his, those that are closest to him to expect him to do it. And they finally get there. He said, alright. You know, he's, he's listened to, to Mary's 
pained, restrained accusation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother, I'd have died. That's veiled, meaning, Lord, you let me down. Why didn't you come sooner? You've never been late. You are always there on time for everybody else. All the, the nobleman's servant, you know, the, 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 the uh, ruler of the synagogue's daughter, the gathering demonic, everybody, everywhere, blind Bart. Well, that comes later, blind Bartimaeus. The man at the pool of Bethesda. Everybody, Lord, you are there for everybody just when they needed you and you let me down. That's all that was wrapped up in that pain. That's why she couldn't go to see him. She just grieved. If you'd been here, my brother. And so he's walking them gently to see you don't even, you don't know who I am. Let me show you. And he says, take away the stone. All right? And he does what only the word of God can do. Lazarus, come forth and the dead live. Now this is only possible by Christ Jesus today even. Unless he's there by the Holy Ghost in the ministering of the word. The dead still stay dead. As someone hears the word of God quickened to them by the spirit. And they trust in Christ and they live. Well, they're Christian. They believe. They're baptized. And the job of the minister is what Jesus said to the disciples afterwards. Now loose him and let him go. He came forth bound hand and foot. People, we call it baggage. They've got hang-ups and hindrances. Some people, they have spiritual things that come on them or that they haven't got quite clear. But they're saved, they're lovely people. But the, the purpose of the ministers in Christ's church is to enable these saints... To possess the land. To be strong in the Lord. To overcome all these things. To be loosed from all the bondages of the past. So they can go forth in Jesus name and minister. For the perfecting of the saints. Paul said we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. There's a whole bunch of perfect Christians in Paul's day. Maybe you just have the wrong concept of what that means. But the perfect Christian is someone, and we mentioned, we alluded to that last time, they walk with God. He didn't say to them that are faultless, you could have faults that you're ignorant of, but you walk with God in victory consistently. Um, Now you can go and minister. (laughs) That's the thing. And the purpose of the ones that are listed here, because he only lists a few and he lists what we would call leadership gifts. Because the purpose of those leadership gifts is to get the whole church equipped as ministers of Christ. To minister the word of God to each other. First of all, as you become fluent as a vessel for the word of God just pours out you to this sister, to that brother, to these. You you become just a, a fountain of Water springing up into everlasting life. Rivers of living water flowing out of you. And, and you know, I mean, people be saved through that ministry. You're building up. You're building up the brethren. You're adding more bricks. This is the vision. I know we've got some distance to go. But this is the vision. This is the plan for the people of God through the millennia. <clears throat> Let's go after him. eh? After Christ. Uh, speaking the truth in love, grow up into him. The whole body, this is the thing, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Every joint, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is part of the reason, brethren, why I have emphasized, and I try and do it in a restrained way that I'm not just browbeating and flogging a hobby horse but why I'm so um, focused that giving allowance for each one to not try and make anything up I want to hear everybody pour out their heart in prayer and praise and come with a prophecy a word something because the body grows by that which every part supplies and that's that's a goal for us right is that um Now, and it's not only in the assembly, but it's not least in the assembly. It's in fellowship. It's when you're doing dishes together, brothers, 
and sisters. <laughs> Sometimes it's a brother's turn, right? Just in fellowship, rubbing shoulders, the word of God should be coming forth. That's minister's life. It's in times of prayer together, labor, all sorts of things. But it's also in the assembly. By that which every joint supplies. That's God's will. It's not a front-centered uh, Christian uh, congregation. I realize that there is some time, prominence of time given to the systematic and continued exposition of the word. That's by God. That's necessary. But there's ample time given, not only for corporate and collective singing, but in the individual voices to be heard in praise and prophecy and testimony. That, that which every joint supply. That's how our body, my body needs some repair. I did something very foolish in the summer and I'm paying for it now. Uh, some of us just have to accept that we're getting older and grayer and not do things that belong to youth. But, uh, but yeah, the whole body is working to repair it. The heart's pumping the blood, you know, and different things. And trying to eat and sleep and do a bit of exercise. It's one the whole body works together. Well, you've got an infection. There's all kinds of things going on to try and turn that around. White blood cells and all kinds of things. Nutrients and organs are churning out stuff to help and it's bloodstream sending it down there. You've got an infection in your toe. The whole body works together. And God put, uses that. He's created it that way. Elsewhere it'll say if one member um, suffer, all suffer with it. If one's honored or... They all rejoice with it. Read these words again in verse 16, brethren. Right? We're growing up into the head, even Christ. And we're, we're, oh dear, we'll wind it down there. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. And just in case you think, well, I'm not a joint. According to the effectual working in the measure of Every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that exciting? You are ordained of God to be a builder in his kingdom. His kingdom's bigger because of you and me if we're faithful. Not only by your private prayers, although they help more than you think as you give yourself to that. But by being filled with Christ and allowing him to manifest himself in and through you to one another. And also, yes, in the assembly. The goal is growth. So, I mean, this is, this is uh, how it works, right? The... Um, the uh, apostles have, have preached and taught so that we would grow up into him in all things, even Christ. Colossians 2.19 takes the same idea. talks about those who are not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Here's where we're going. <clears throat> Verse 13 of Ephesians 4. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No more children. Right. Earlier he had written... Um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, that you might have strength to take, to apprehend, to possess the whole land with all saints, the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He, he's he's um, on a very similar theme here. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you imagine? That in a congregation. Is Christ divided? No. 
I beseech you, brethren, that you all speak the same thing, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. Not because somebody's kind of bludgeoned you into thinking his way, but because Christ ministering together through his body and we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, the mind of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whole church, you imagine? This is Paul's right, uh, encouraging the Corinthians along this line. If all prophesy and there come in one, he is judged of all, he's convinced of all. And so falling down on his face, he'll confess that God, he'll worship God and confess that God is in you the truth. Christ in each one, ministering to each one until we all grow together and come to the fullest. What's that look like? That's a whole congregation looking like Christ Jesus. In unity. Isn't this what he prayed? That they all may be one as thou father art in me. They may be one in us. It's real brethren. It has been done by God in churches through the ages. And it can be done by him. In our congregation and in others around. And how can we settle for anything less than that. In our aspirations. How can we accept the status quo that is North American Christianity. Hmm? We're called to heaven. To the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Just read in your gospels. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. Just think of the dignity of the Lord Jesus. I thank thee, Father, that thou hearest me always. Sorry, that thou hearest me, and I knew thou hearest me always. Imagine a congregation where they gather for prayer and pray as one man with such confidence and heaven is moved right then and there. It's for us, brethren. It's our calling. Let us not faint. Let us seek to grow. You're like the little children, you know, on the doorpost, you know, measure it, got a line, and up the next day trying to, you know, trying to stretch without stretching because we don't want to cheat, but we do want to be taller. And it's really hard to grow noticeably for one day, you know, and then over the course of a year, and, you know, yeah, grow it. Let's, let's go for it. The fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. What a glory that will be. And Paul said he pressed toward the mark, not as though he were already perfect. A different sense of the word there. But uh, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, right? Uh, and then. He said, I'm now ready to be offered. <laughs> Time my departure is at hand. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This wasn't a man just hanging around a bus stop until Jesus came. This was a man running full tilt to meet him. And let us follow that faith. Let's pray, shall we?